your page flippers ready. And uh, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 8. And would you stand as I read this verse and we'll enter into our time under God's word together. Isaiah 56, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Let's pray. God of glory, we thank you that not only are you glorious above, but you are near. That it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And even beyond that, it is in Christ that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. It is in Christ that we who were once dead have been made alive. It is in Christ that we are raised up to new life. The old is gone and the new has come. Our life, we have died, Scripture says, and our lives are hidden with Christ and God. So turn our eyes upward. Set our minds on things above, Father. Help us to hear. Help us to see. Soften our hearts, Lord. And Father, whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Father, would you speak? We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So speak, God, to us through your word. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Back in, uh, I guess it was December, November, I don't know. I asked the, some of our staff to create a ministry plan for 2023, for whatever their, uh, you know, whatever the thing was, right? So music and youth, and students and all that kind of stuff. And we haven't met to kind of, we're going to kind of meet and sort of put all that together uh, and, and see what the Lord has laid upon our hearts. And as I've been working on my own, right, as um, I asked them to here put together a calendar or some uh, notable events and uh, some goals you want to hit and, and then pray for God for, for a, sort of a word to describe, not, not like a word of knowledge or something like that, but just simply a word that describes what you want to see happen and what the Lord is burdening you for. And, um, and as I began to do that, um, I do that myself and uh, the Lord led me to this verse and um, and it was, it was one of those, uh, I didn't, I wasn't reading Isaiah in a reading plan. Um, I'm one of those, like if I, if I have just a few minutes here or there, I'll just sort of pop open my Bible and start reading. And I was reading through a really just glorious part of Isaiah from, uh, from after you don't need, this is not a background in Isaiah, but you know, a little bit, the high point of Isaiah is back in 33, 34, where, where God delivers Jerusalem, delivers the people of Judah from Sennacherib and the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians came and took over the Northern Empire, and now they were this rival foreign empire was coming and pressing in on Jerusalem. 
And that's the, the redemptive high water mark of the events in Isaiah. And so after that, you have this wonderful sort of uh, a ton of gospel uh, prophecies of, of um, events, things looking forward from chapter 40, which really talks about a voice crying in the wilderness that's applied to John the Baptist. And then one of my favorite verses in it is in chapter 41, you know, fear not, I'm with you. Um, and, and on and on and on, right? And all these servant songs, and we're not going to get into all the structure of Isaiah. Uh, some point I need to just sort of preach through Isaiah and, and then we'll preach until Jesus comes because it's such a long book. But um, it'd be worth it. But uh, I was reading and I, and I came through 55, which is like, come to me, all you who are uh, thirsty. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. This invitation of God to come and to come and to come, come, come to me. Come to me and be satisfied. Come to me and have your hunger met. Quit spending your life and your money for the things that don't matter. This grand, whole chapter is this grand invitation. And then how God accomplishes it in chapter 55, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. This is the preacher's verse, by the way. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So you see that sort of the, the invitation is to come. The invitation arrives by means of the word of God. And God promises. He attends his word with an almighty promise that God's word will accomplish God's will. This is why we, we preach the way we do. This is why we center ourselves on the word of God like we do. Because God accomplishes his will through his word. And to try to go over and above God's word is to not take him at his word. And it's actually unbelief. And that's another sermon. And then the, the fruit of it at the end of 55. And you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills are singing and the trees are clapping. It's like a Lord of the Rings moment. Like everything, all these inanimate objects begin to worship this consummation at the end of the age when all of the earth is set to rights. It's beautiful. And then you come into chapter 56 and we see something marvelous. It's already been marvelous. I told Maxi Maxine was trying to give me pancakes before. Uh, every, every morning I come down there, drop the kids off, and she tries to give me pancakes. And I said, I can't, I can't have pancakes this morning. I've got to be light. I've got to be light this morning. Because I'm super, I don't, you don't need... Uh, Carb coma, Jacob. Um, so anyway, because I'm so, this is beautiful, okay? Because all of that, that invitation, come to me, be satisfied, quit wasting your life, come to the Lord, seek the Lord, he, he accomplishes his will through his word, seek him through his word, and then this beautiful worship at the end. And then he says, basically in chapter 56, in case you are wondering, this is for everybody. There are, it's not exclusive to any particular people. It's not, it's not even exclusive to the Jews here in Isaiah. He says, keep justice, do righteousness. Blessed is the man who does this. Verse 2, and the son of man who holds to it. 
And then verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Don't let the foreigner, the non-Jew, the outsider who's come now to believe in the Lord, but believes that somehow something's wrong with them and they're going to be separated. Don't let them believe that. And then later on, the eunuch is a, a man who can't have children. Who chooses, the, this is a eunuch who comes to faith in the Lord. And oftentimes children were associated with the blessings of God, with the, with the promises of God. And, and so this person thought that even though they were trusting in the Lord, they believed that their deficiency would somehow keep them away from God. The foreigner believed, I wasn't born into the house of Judah. I wasn't born into the covenants, into the, into the household of David or of Judah or, or, or another tribe. I, I'm somehow less than. And the eunuch says, I can't have children. And so I'm, I'm unfruitful. I'm a barren tree. I'm, I'm going to be removed from the fellowship. Even though I've trusted in God, there's, it's not, not for me. Verse 6, and the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Notice the promise, right? This is, these, are, these have come to the Lord. They've come to the Lord not just, in, not just as, as lip service, to minister to him, to serve him. To love him, love the name of the Lord. That means to love the glory of the Lord. To be his servants and they keep his Sabbath, obey his word. And so these aren't just lip service foreigners and eunuchs, right? So that we see even here, 700 years before Jesus, that the promise of the gospel, which is alive and active in Israel and in Judah, even in Isaiah, the promise of the gospel overlaps the boundaries of Judah overlaps the boundaries of Israel. There's a point. These, verse 7, these I will bring to my holy mountain to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for All peoples, not just Judah, not just Israel, not just these people, but my house, my place of worship, my place of special dwelling with my people will be a place of prayer. But notice God brings all of these people to himself. He he brings them in. He draws them in. He he connects them to a to himself in in a living connection. So that they're not just outwardly faithful to God, but they're inwardly loving the name of God. He brings these people in and he makes them a joyful, worshiping, prayerful people. These foreigners, these eunuchs. And you could just say, and I don't know if you remember the old hymn, Others, right? There, there's this hymn about others. And it was saying, they were singing it at my grandmother's funeral but all those other people God is going to draw them in God is 
drawing them in to make them a joyful, worshiping, prayerful people. But they must be gathered. That's where we are. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. Remember, Israel is under fire. The kingdom has split by this point. The northern kingdom of Israel is decimated and gone, destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Judah remains and there's a faithful remnant within Judah. God is gathering the outcasts of Israel. And he says, I have yet more I will gather. There are yet more I will gather. And if I'm just going to make the leap right now about what we're doing today, I wanted to answer the question of why 500 gospel conversations in 2023 and then a little bit of how at the end. Why? How? This is the why. Perhaps you need more, right? God has to gather people in. John chapter 10, verse 16 This is an awesome chapter. Jesus is talking about first he's the door of the sheep, but then he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who knows his sheep. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. But then in verse 16, in other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is saying there are some who are already in the fold. They're already gathered together in the flock. But I have others. I have others that have not been gathered in yet. If you, if you want to know why Jesus has tarried on the throne, right? He hasn't returned yet. You can go through all of the... Never mind. I won't say that. You can, you can make all of the guesses that you want to make. But here is reason one. Jesus still has people in the world who have yet to believe. He has people in this generation, the next generation, the next generation. As long as there are generations of people, there are people that the Lord has to gather in. That will be a part of Jesus' flock. That will come to the holy mountain. And the holy mountain is not just, it's not a location anymore, but the holy mountain, the rallying place for the new covenant people in the New Testament is Christ. He's drawing people to himself. We don't have time to bring all the places out, but the only way that you come is if he draws you. John 6, 44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the the work. No one can come to me. Jesus is the rallying point. Jesus is the holy mountain. Jesus is our Mount Zion, if you will. No one comes to Christ unless the Father who sent me draws him. Remember where we were, 1 Timothy? He dwells in unapproachable light. You can't come to him on your own terms. There has to be a move of the heart for the person who's stuck in their sin to turn around and come to God. There has to be a change of the spiritual disposition. This is a divine work that God must do. That God must draw and move and Woo! So that people will come to Christ and so that Jesus' flock 
will become all that it will be. His flock, his church, his people. There are sheep yet to be gathered. So why 500? Because we are those, Christian, I'm speaking to you right now. You are of those who have already been gathered. You have been brought into the flock of God. You have stepped through the door of Christ into his sheepfold. And so now you can say with the psalmist David in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And those of you who have been walking with Jesus know this. You know that the Lord is your shepherd. You know that he's led you and that he's protected you and that he's provided for you. That he's kept his promises for you. That he has gone to prepare a place for you. You have been brought in and you've experienced the blessings even now in this life. You've experienced the blessings of knowing Christ as your shepherd. You know what it is for the world to be falling apart. And yet you can lay your head on the pillow at night knowing that the Lord is sovereign. Knowing that the God who rules the universe is your God. And that he's, as in the psalm, uh, in, in the words of Isaiah 49, 29, 15, that he's engraved your name on the palm of his hands. That he will not forget you. It's almost tattooed there with the blood of Jesus. Never in indelible ink imprinted on the Father's hand is your name because of Christ. The gate is strong. The walls are strong. You will not be lost. You have been gathered in. Enjoy it. Revel in the blessings and the grace of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. The future is ahead. Don't fear them who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill you and then throw you into hell. Live in this life with reverence to the one who has brought you in. Because you have no business being there except for Jesus. You understand what I mean? You're not there because you're so great. You're not here because you're so great. I think you're great. You know, don't misunderstand me. But you're not here in the people of God because you're so great. You're here amongst the people of God because God has done something and saved you from the muck and the mire. He saved you from your sin. He saved you from your stubbornness and stiff-neckedness and your rebellion against God. You were dead in your sins and trespasses and by God's grace you've been brought in. It's not of you. God has done a work. You have been gathered in. Your seat at the marriage feast of the Lamb is already set. So then, why aren't you there yet? Because there are yet more To be gathered in. There are still more. Who haven't heard. There's still more. That they've never seen. Gospel flesh on bones. So to speak. They've never seen what it is. For a person to be consumed. In love for Jesus. And there's so many. In our town today. You go. You could. And I haven't done this. But maybe we will. We go knock on all the doors. Say. Are you a Christian? We'll just take the tally. What was the, you know, what, what local church are you a member of? What was the last time that you went? How does your faith in Jesus change your life? The problem is, is that there are so many people 
And this is one of the difficulties of this work of gathering in the lost sheep of Jesus. Gathering them in. One of the difficulties of doing this in Bible Belt America is because so many people have been inoculated with a false gospel of moralism, legalism, church attendance, baptism alone, or something else. There are yet more. They might be your neighbors. They might be your family members. They might be your co-workers. They might be your workout buddies. Your crochet buddies. Your book club. I don't know what all y'all do. But there are yet more. And so the blessings of Christ that have been poured into your heart, right? The, the love of God, Christian, has been poured into your heart. By the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says. Don't become just a big bucket. That's meant to pour out of you. As your cup overflows, Psalm 23 again. As your cup overflows, let it flow to other people. Believing that God will draw some to himself. And this consumed the Apostle Paul. So much so that in... 2 Timothy chapter 2, which 2 Timothy will come to in short order, probably in a few weeks. We'll pick up 2 Timothy and jump. We finished 1 Timothy, so we have to, right? OCD people in the room were like, we have to go 1 2, right? We'll even do Titus after that, probably. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, this is one of the, I think, the last letter Paul writes, and he's writing again to Timothy, and, uh, and he says in verse 8, I'll begin in verse 8. Uh, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. So Paul is suffering for the gospel. And you immediately think he's suffering because of his faithfulness to Jesus, his connection to Jesus, his whatever. That he's suffering because of this. Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Like, come on, that's awesome. Okay, Uh, the word of God is not bound. Verse 10. Therefore, because the word of God is not bound, because I'm remembering Jesus risen from the dead, and I'm suffering for the gospel, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's saying, not only am I willing to suffer for the gospel of Christ, but I'm willing to suffer for the church of Jesus. Because there's yet more. Do you see it? I will endure everything. I'll be shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and shamed. Eventually beheaded for the sake not only of the gospel of Christ, but before Jesus' people that have yet to believe. I'll endure everything for the sake of the elect or for the sake of the chosen. Which, by the way, just avoid the TV show. That's another sermon, another day. Uh, anyway, I, I probably should address it. I don't have time right now, but it, don't do that. It seems very nice and okay. I don't, I'm not trying to poo-poo on your parade, but I am poo-pooing on your parade. Um, but I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'm suffering for the gospel. What does Paul suffer for? He's not suffering because he's sitting behind the lines. Somewhere safe and removed from the action. 
He's suffering because he's taking the gospel where it's never been before. He's suffering because he's going into Lystra and calling them to repentance. And they stone him and drag him out of the city, believing that he's dead. And by the way, where does he meet Timothy, the next generation? In Lystra. He's on a ship to Rome because he longs to bring the gospel to Rome and then to Spain. And he's willing for it. He's willing to take the beatings. He's willing to have the shipwreck. He's willing to be in the danger, right? What is it? Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. Just go read the verse. It's like three or four or five times in one verse. He says, there's danger over there and there's danger over there and there's danger over there and there's danger over there. Danger, 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 danger. He's suffering for the glory of Christ. Jesus is worth it. But not only is Jesus worth it, his church is worth it. There are people that need to hear. There are are sheep of Jesus that need to be brought in. And the only way that they're brought in is by the word of God which is not bound. Okay, I could live here, but I'm going to move on. Uh, Romans chapter 10. The only way that there are people who are yet to be gathered into the flock of God, the only way that they're gathered in is by the word of God. The word of God that is not bound, but you need to know this, right? It is costly. Hopefully, I don't know. Maybe you'll get shipwrecked. I don't know. But it's costly. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 12. This is a whole chapter of just glory, but verse 12. Whole book, whole Bible of just wonder. Y'all read it. We have a reading plan, by the way. We can send it to you. You can catch up. Verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Remember, remember the foreigner and the eunuch, right? I'm not, I can't be a part of this. There's no distinction, Paul says. Well, come on in. Come to the holy mountain. Come to Jesus. Come to the feast. For there's no, one, no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. He's Lord of Jew. He's Lord of Greek. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. What? It's not just for one people. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Greeks. It's not just for the church folk who show up on Sunday morning. It's for everyone who calls on him. He bestows his riches. Oh, how measly language is. The riches of God? He bestows them on everyone who calls on him. For, and he quotes here uh, Prophet Joel, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Full stop. Without exemption, without partiality, call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Call out to him in faith. You will be saved. So this is a glorious truth. Right? God's gathering people in. If you're going to be a part of Jesus' flock, Jesus' fold, it, you know, kind of the, the base requirement of that is saying, Jesus, save, save me and be my Lord. You want to be a part of Jesus' sheepfold? Call out to Christ to be saved. And everyone. This is true for everyone. This is true for your neighbor. This is true for... Uh, the guy bebopping down the street in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. This is true for the atheist bumping around in 
Ottawa, Canada. This promise extends to all. And it's an exclusive promise, but it's a promise. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The converse, anyone who does not, will not. But here's the thing. If they're going to call out to God, how are they going to do it? Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Straightforward. I was telling the story to my, not my pediatrician. He feels like my pediatrician because we have a room at Palmetto Pediatrics on Clemson Road. Just all the time. Like, hey, they're all like best friends, you know. Um, and I was, any of the, the doctor there, Dr. Oh, Cavanagh is a believer. He's awesome. He's a rock star. And, um, and I, was, uh, I was telling him about, and I forgot my train of thought, but I was, I was telling, I was talking to him. We talk about spiritual matters and we talk about um, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I'd lost my train of thought, but he's awesome. And I don't have, the, I don't have this written down. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sure like later on today, as I, as I agonize over this sermon, uh, which I do every day, every Sunday, uh, it'll come to me and then I'll be upset. Uh, <clears throat> How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Oh, this is the story. I told him the story. <laughs> Y'all, I turned 40 this year, okay? Just give me a break. It's starting to catch up. Uh, I went on a mission trip when I was in sixth grade. And my first mission trip, we, we went to uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts to do a VBS. So our youth group from First Baptist Irmo loaded up in a bunch of, we didn't know at the time, uh, unsafe 15 passenger vans, right? They're t- right? They just flip over in a, s- a small gust. Anyways, uh, so we drive from here to there, and it's a long time. And uh, while we're there, we, we're doing VBS at a church in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And I'm, you know, my job in sixth grade was to the, the three and four year olds, which is a low teaching bar, right? Just don't, don't trip on them. This is my job. Uh, but I was there, and, and I remember we were sitting, and I was, in, I was helping another teacher during, so it was an older girl, probably uh, second or third grade. And this is, I mean, sixth grade, I'm 40, I don't know the math, it was a minute ago, okay? Uh, and early, early 90s, um, some of y'all weren't born yet. And we start talking about Jesus, you know, just the gospel, and just telling a story about Jesus. And, and this little girl looks up to me and says, who is that? Not as in, like, tell me more about this guy, but as in, like, I've never heard that before. I've never heard of him before. I've only heard that, that word when my, when my daddy gets angry. Early 90s, Plymouth, Massachusetts. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they have any understanding unless someone goes? That's a whole point here. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Everyone who calls on the Lord to be saved must first hear the gospel, right? You must first hear the gospel. If they would hear, someone must preach. If someone is to preach, they must be sent. 
The Word of God creates faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. How? Right? Why? 500? There's more to be gathered. How? The gospel must come in message in person. Now, it could be like digital communication. It could be whatever. But a person has to explain something to another person. Now, there are exceptions, right? I'm, I'm not, you know, whatever. People open the Bible and they read it. Okay, come to faith. Um, somebody had a dream. Come to faith. Okay, exceptions. Here's the sort of baseline rule, though. The word of God has to come. People have to understand what they're believing. They have to understand in whom they are believing. Would we see people come to faith in Elgin? It cannot just be a wish in the air. You have been placed strategically, not by me, but by the king of the kingdom to be an ambassador of the kingdom where you live, work, and play. You, you have been strategically placed by the king of the kingdom, by the commander of the army, with the message of the gospel, where you live, work, and play. I didn't do that. He did that. There are people in your life right now that you can say, they're close to me, but they're far from God. If not, then change something so that there are. Last word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16 through the end of the chapter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is, I could, anyway. Uh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Just remember that. That is, just to, make, just to be clear, Paul says, I said this, don't, it's just like this. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot there, but the thing I want you to see is to be reconciled to God is to be reconciling others to God. In the same breath, In the same breath, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. He brought you in. You've been gathered in. The shepherd is your shepherd. The gate is closed. You're welcomed in. The promises are yours. The riches are yours. Salvation is yours. Holy Spirit is yours. Glory is yours. It's all yours. 
same breath, who's reconciled through Christ to us, us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Same breath. Now, Paul's talking about him and his cohort of people, um, but throughout history, Christians have been taking this for themselves. That this is us. We've been reconciled and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Same breath. It's not like I've got a, I'm, I'm reconciled, let me get mature enough and have all the answers and know how to answer all the questions and be able to debate the atheist and know how to, um, you know, shut up the, the what, Richard Dawkins guy and whatever. You know, be, be able to have something for every single uh, individual uh, religion in the world and whatever. <clears throat> you don't, you're reconciled and then there isn't this long period of you saying, now I can go about the work of reconciling somebody else. Of sharing the gospel. Of saying, this is why you need a Savior. And this is what Jesus has done for you. And this is why all of the places that you're looking for hope and life and love, they actually should direct you to Jesus rather than away from Him. You're reconciled to be reconciling. So the bigger issue for us is not knowledge. It's obedience. The bigger issue for us in seeing more people gathered into Jesus' flock is not knowledge, is obedience. Now, yeah, you probably need some training. Probably need some equipping. How do I share the gospel? What are they, what are they asking you this? Are there aliens on Mars, right? They'll ask you some crazy stuff. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, but we'll do some equipping. We're going to plan some stuff, okay, this year. This year for 500, 500 gospel conversations. We'll do everything we can to load up your gun. But I, you could have a bazooka. And if you never take it out of the closet, you're never going to shoot anything. The biggest tool will be a willing heart. The biggest tool and the hand of God will be a willing heart. Okay. I have five applications in a minute and 18 seconds. Pray for one person. I'll post these maybe online or something. Uh, Pray for one person that you know who is far from God to hear the gospel and believe. Pray for one person, right? You know somebody close to you, far from God. I mean, this is somebody, I'm not talking like... You know, the president of Zimbabwe or somebody like you'll never, ever meet. I mean, somebody that's already in your orbit, already in your sphere. One of the spheres of influence that you're in, where you live, where you work, where you learn. Pray for that one person that you know who is far from God to hear the gospel and believe. You start praying that they would be confronted with the good news of Jesus. That they would learn about the devastation of their own sin so that they would be humbled and turn to Christ. You're praying for one person. Number two. Pray that God would use you to share with that person. Pray, not, you know, it's easy. Oh, God, you know, look at God. Billy Sue is so lost. If there's a Billy Sue in here, this is not in purpose. Um, Billy Sue is so lost. She's, she's doing this. and do, Would you just send somebody to, to meet her with the gospel? And you can almost hear God say, well, who is Billy Sue to you? Oh, she's my next door neighbor. Rise up and say, here I am, send me. Pray that God would use you 
to share with that person, share the gospel with that person, share the love of Christ, make them some brownies. I don't know. Be nice to them for Jesus' sake. And because they're a person, that's a whole other thing. But just pray that God would use you. Third, look for opportunities to share. Look for, oppor- look, look for holes in their story, right? Look for when they're going through a hard time. That's a great one. When somebody's going through a hard time, going through something difficult, and you have a perfect opportunity to say, you know, I went through something like that in this time. You want to know what carried me through? Who doesn't want to know? Insert Jesus, which ought to be the truth for you. All right. Look for opportunities. If none are seen, make one. If none are seen, make one. This is a person you already know. I'm not talking about cold calling somebody, but just say, hey, you want to get lunch? It's on me. That's enough to get me. So you want to get coffee? Do you want to go play golf? Do you want to go to the I don't, movie? is not really a great place to share the gospel. <laughs> okay, let's rethink that one. Four. Invite that person and others, but invite that person to worship and to church events. That's fourth, okay? That's not first, second, or third. That's fourth. Invite them and others, but invite them. And then fifth, trust Christ. The gospel is the power of God. Believe it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You believe it. And you pray like it, and you live like it, you share like it, you love like it, believing that one day God will melt a cold heart. There's so much work to do, but I'm so excited. I'm pretty, I was pretty amped about this one. Um, I'm, I'm amped a lot, I guess. But. Some of you, you're wondering, like, this, seem, this seems too daunting. This is too big. Maybe we should do like a, like a preface to number one. Pray that God would give you a willing heart. Pray that God would show you the beauty of Jesus. Because when you see the beauty of Christ, when you're captivated by the love of Christ, that's earlier in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, by the way, for the love of Christ controls us, it compels us. When you're captivated by the love of Christ, you, have, you really, it's just an overflow. You have no choice but to share it with somebody else. Pray that God would give you that kind of heart. Pray that God would break your heart over those who are far from God. And for some of you, you are that person far from God. You came in here for God knows what reason, to impress somebody, to make an impression on somebody, to try to keep your relationship together, or to make it look like you have it all together, but you don't. And I want to say, first of all, God knows. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all of your baggage, all of your darkness, all of your wickedness, all of your sin, all of the lies. He knows everything. And though you stand condemned today under the wrath of God, that's what sin earns. His invitation to you is not to wrath. It's not to judgment. His invitation to you is come. And live. Would you come be set free and have new life today in Jesus? Would you come accept Christ? Surrender your life to him. That's your response right now while we sing in just a minute. That's your response.
Yield your life to Jesus. You can't fix it on your own. But for the rest of you, Christian, I'm going to ask this unprecedented in my time here. But if you have one person, you don't have to shout out their name, but I'm going to ask you to come up here. And we're going to pray here for that person. Okay? So stand up. If you have that person, she come and we're going to all get on our knees and ask God to save people. And then we'll sing. If you're able to get down, get down. If you can't, sit on the front row. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Y'all keep coming. It's all right. Lord God, your word tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we have been given that in Jesus. Would you help us and remind us even in this moment where we were? Lost, dead in our sins and trespasses, living for ourselves. Living in rebellion to you. Without hope and without God in the world. And you being rich in mercy with the great love with which you have for us made us alive with Christ. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you are saving us and will save us at the end day. And Lord, you have begun a work to burden us for individuals that we know today that are living in that darkness that we once knew. They're living under the domain of darkness. Far from you, even though they're, they're good, swell, nice people, they need you. And Lord, your word tells us that no one can can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. So Lord, would you begin now in these hearts that are on each one of these hearts, would you begin a work in this person that they would be stirred up and broken and, and dissatisfied with where they are and they would begin to look and that your spirit would chase after them that everywhere they look, there would be some savor, some scent, some aroma, some word of Christ. And for these, your children, that you have stirred up, God, that we have come together, that we are on bended knee because we know salvation comes from the Lord. It belongs to you. Would you save these people? And would you give us courage to be the ones, to be the ones that help gather in those who are still lost, that we would embody the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost So, Lord, for everyone that is on every heart, you know these. For some, there might be more than one. But, Lord, would you do a work and rescue these people for the glory of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the beauty of your church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.